All right, welcome to Out from the Cube. We're at episode 63. And what I enjoy, uh, one, of, one of the many things that I really enjoy about this podcast is that I get to meet these amazing people uh, that I would not have met had I not been doing the podcast, uh, networking, using LinkedIn, Twitter, and all these other social media channels that we have. And, and with that, I uh, was talking offline with our guest today, who is uh, Richard uh, Kasparowski. Um, I have a hard time saying that quickly. Um, but I, I, I cast a wide net out on LinkedIn and just uh, start networking, meeting people, sending some notes back and forth. And Richard uh, was kind enough to respond to me. And then I hit him up, uh, saw, saw that we had similar interests uh, professionally mm-hmm. and uh, similar passions, uh, not professionally, just in terms of, you know, coaching and teams and things like that, um, that I invited him to be on the podcast and, and uh, he, rec- you know, he said yes and came on. So with that, um, I know we are on a time crunch, uh, so I want to be very, uh, I want to honor your time and, and make sure we get to what we need to get to. So we are going to move a little quick, but Richard, thanks, uh, one, thanks for your time. And, hey, George, uh, you know, my pleasure. My so, pleasure. Uh, here with you. Yeah, so um, a few things that struck me. So your background, is, I want to make sure I, I set the table as, as best I can, as quickly as I can. Yeah. You, are, uh, you, are, uh, you are in IT. You are a software. You uh, mentioned offline you grew up around computers and software yeah. and development and things of that nature, right? What, what, what is specifically your background in IT and how did you end up, you know, uh, kind of leading and running teams and in this sure. ad? Sure. So, uh, so what I do today is I'm an author, coach, speaker, teacher, uh, focused on high-performance teams using tools like the core protocols, like agile software development, like open space. Um, I got into this, yeah, like you said, I, I grew up as a kid with a computer. I was 12 or 13 years old. Uh, so this was back in like 1982 or 1983. Uh, computers at home were, were, were unusual. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when like the first home computers started coming out and, uh, and I had one and I loved it. It was, it was awesome. It was fun. I loved, loved tinkering with it. Uh, I had a couple of friends who had similar computers or slightly different ones and we would hang out and, and do fun stuff that turned into a degree in computer science as I got older and working for tech companies. I, I live in Boston. It's where I am right now. It's cold here today. That's why I've got the scarf on. Um, there's a huge tech community around Boston and a, and a huge startup community around, around the tech companies. Uh, lately, that's turning into more, uh, more, more biotech and healthcare tech, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as well as finance and, and just tech in general. Um, so I got into that as a, as a programmer, as a, as a guy writing code, a young guy writing code. Um, the more I did it, the more I started to realize that I could actually do anything writing the code like that wasn't the hard part mm-hmm. the, the hard part was was all the skills I hadn't really practiced all my life you know as the as the teenager with the computer I was I was alone a lot writing code by myself and, and that felt really good mm-hmm. but then I noticed uh, to, to succeed as a as a group or as a company well it was actually all these all these weird people things like talking to each other and getting aligned with each other and, and organizing the work and doing it well together so I became, uh, I started growing in, in that area, I became more of a team leader, uh, became a manager, uh, sort of a, a, um, a sort of director level of different companies. And uh, that turned into, well, I started giving advice to other managers. So I sort of was unofficially coaching other managers at different companies where I was working. And that turned into what I do today, like coaching, teaching, 
uh, guiding people on what they're doing, mostly in tech companies and in other kinds of companies as well. Hmm. That's, I, there's, uh, I use the word unpack, but there's a lot to unpack. There are a lot <laughs> of questions that come to my mind. Let, uh-huh. let, let me ask this, your, your upbringing, and, I, and you kind of foreshadowed this a little bit, and I, know, uh, I think I may know the answer. Uh, you grew up with computers, you know, your friends writing code, playing game, yeah. like all that sort of stuff. And I grew up around the same time, 82, 83. Yeah. I grew up right outside Seattle uh-huh. and Apple II pluses and all this sort of yeah. stuff. Commodore 64s, all that. Um, but what was, did you have a sports background? Like my question yeah, is essentially background, a little bit. <laughs> okay. No. And the reason I ask that is, you know, this idea of the the people that grew up around computers and not really having that team mindset, knowing what it's like to work with other people, problem solve, communicate, prioritize, distribute work, like all that sort of stuff. What I'm, what my experience has been, that's a hard transition for people that don't may, may not come from that kind of sports team background. And you didn't have that, right? Or am I not 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 too much? Um, Yeah. So let's see. I had, you know, looking back, I've never really looked at it from this perspective. I appreciate the, the fresh look back. Um, I, I did play soccer when I was a young, young kid. When I got to high school, I was kind of like too shy and too socially awkward to get out in the soccer field with, with a bigger group of guys who I didn't, I didn't know all of them. And, and they were like older than me. And, you know, they were men, basically. And I was still a boy, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know that, that first summer before high school and, and they're seniors there and they're basically men. Um, so I kind of stopped doing sports but I was a musician and I did Mm. looking back you know my my music stuff was team stuff I I had a rock band that I played with uh in in school I I played with the uh the 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 high school jazz band I mean these are these are different kinds of teams no question those are yeah and they're they're still teams and and people are counting on you and you're counting on them and and I, you know, got to admit in the, in, the, in the high school jazz band, I wasn't the best teammate. I really didn't, really didn't do my work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in my in my rock band with my smaller group of friends, um, that was great. That was awesome. And 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 we're still lifelong friends with that group. So when you make that transition, then from you know the name of our podcast is out from the cube. When you make yeah. that transition from being in a cubicle writing code, nose down, headphones on, not really interacting, contributing to really, you know, to, you know, and I'm not saying anybody, but that's, that's yeah. kind of that life and what people imagine yeah. people writing code. Now, all of a sudden you're a director, you're a team lead, you're coaching managers or executives. Um, how, how big of a change is that from sitting in a, you know, sitting and writing code eight, 10, 12 hours a day and weekends to now yeah. leading people and um, trying to be that proxy between business and executives and an IT team. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I think it was a huge change for me. Um, I was exactly what you said. I, my, one of my first jobs, I shared an office with, uh, with somebody who I, who I worked with, like mm-hmm. literally all the time. And this is how we communicated with each other. I would, we had our backs to each other, like, you know, in this office. And it was like this. And, and I would send emails to her and she would send emails to me. <laughs> this is how we communicated in this shared office. Right. Looking back, it's, it's ridiculous how, how right. we were at people skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and it's definitely something where I, where I grew. Um, I'd say my, my first contact, my first good contact 
uh, with, with improving my skills was working for a, a company where I accompanied people on sales visits to prospects and customers. Mm. And I was technically just another person writing code, but I knew a lot about the code and that's why the, the salespeople brought me with them because I did know a lot and, and, right. and, and eventually they would let me talk as well. <laughs> but it was these experiences where I got, I got firsthand contact with our customers and our potential customers uh, that, that really started to light the spark in me. Hmm. And this was the spark of, of totally understanding what our customers want, what's hard for them, uh, why what we're doing matters to them, why they, why they care about what we're doing and how it helps. Hmm. That, is, that is way more important than just knowing how to write code. Knowing the problem that you're solving and who you're doing it for, the stuff we talk about in Agile, uh, mm -hmm. knowing, knowing your users and empathizing with them, really feeling what they're feeling, mm -hmm. knowing what their problems are and helping them have, have a better experience, have, have a better life, really. All right. So some of the things that we've, you really hit on some good things that I really, I really like. So, you know, people that listen to this, you know, this out from the cube mindset, and it's really this cubicle in our minds to a certain extent of just wanting more, trying to contribute more, uh, and having more impact on our, our company, our, our teammates, our clients, all that sort of stuff. But what you said some things kind of subtly, or maybe I'm just thinking about this a little different, but you're writing code and you're fortunate enough that somebody essentially takes you under their wing and says, hey, come with me on these sales calls. Yeah. Right. So we have talked probably the last three or four episodes with our podcast where we've talked about modeling, uh -huh. right? Of finding somebody that excels at a weakness. Maybe you have being humble enough to understand that that is a weakness and, um, and then going out with them and modeling and essentially modeling or learning what they're doing and then modeling that behavior. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's impactful. Like that, I would have to think that having that experience and having, and the phrase that we use is just having, those at bats yeah. of being, Hey, so we talk about this. We talk about fear and getting at bats, having good at bats and building confidence, right? Yeah. So you have this fear of all this, but somebody takes you under their wing. Now all of a sudden you get these at bats with these people that you yeah. wouldn't have had otherwise. Now you have yeah. confidence and now you can you execute. Right. Yeah, and and you know, and 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 in in pedagogy, we we talk about this as you learn by making mistakes in a safe environment. Perfect. Right. Love so that. I'm 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 definitely a learner. My 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 things that I'm learning right now include Spanish, the language. Mm. And it's it's so it's so hard for me because I don't want to make mistakes. So I so I, I have to go out of my way to set up safe environments for me to to me to learn and practice while making little mistakes. Man. Yeah, right. So, so, yeah. so, I, so I have a tutor now that I work with, uh, sort of like this over over video. Yeah, I, I I think that's impactful. I really do because one, if you start talking about you know safety and fear and all this sort of stuff in corporate America, mm -hmm. you know, I think there's a lot. You know, this is just me. I I, I think mm -hmm. people perceive that to be very fluffy and yeah. uh, you know head in the clouds type things. But when you really get down to it, that that ability to fail fail fast, go yeah. as hard as you can to try to learn and know that you're being supported and mm -hmm. that there's going to be great feedback and, you know, and constructive criticism. And you know, you're coming out on the other end, better individually, better for your team, better for your yeah. clients. 
that Matt, and I wonder your experience, you, you know, you're, you're in a great area. Love Boston. I thought I read on your profile that you do some teaching at Harvard. Yeah. Like what a great, what a great experience. But so all the experiences that you've got and have received out in that area, do people do that? Like, is that something those leaders and, ex and executives try to foster in their cultures, this idea of having safe environments for failure and for learning? Yeah. So this thing about safety, safe environments for learning, failing, and it's really not about failing because we don't, nobody fails intentionally. Right. Uh, some do for sure. Some don't. Um, let's see. So you said it was, I forget what word you used. I sometimes call it a, a woo woo thing or, a, or like yeah. I've got, I've got yep. some family in California. I call it like a Calif California woo woo thing. Right. Uh, but this, this stuff about safety, um, if you don't, if you don't believe it, like if you're a, you know, say you're an executive and you're, you're, you're sort of logic minded, you're looking at the bottom line, the finances, the numbers, this, this kind of stuff. It turns out, according to the research and, and there's like a couple of decades of research and people have reproduced it and it's, it's really solid. Mm -hmm. The, the organizations or the teams that measure high on safety or psychological safety in this sense, the teams that measure high on safety measure high on performance, right? So this is, this is one of the things I, I bring to my teaching and coaching. I share with people the, the, the science and research background here because I know people, there are a lot of people who are logic minded versus emotion minded. They, they need to hear the, that, they're, that this is fact, this is factual. You, you, can, you really can't argue with this. It's been reproduced so many times. Um, if you want a high performing team, they need to feel safe. They need to have high emotional intelligence as a group. These are the ingredients of a high performance team. The science and research are there. And, and once people know that, it's kind of like their choice. They could either pursue safety and high EI for their teams, and they will almost always get high performance from their teams, or they don't. They could, they could make believe safety isn't important, make believe EI isn't important, and they'll get the, the opposite consequences. Right. So, so once they know the science and research, it's their choice about which way they want to go. Uh, and, and that's kind of why I share that with people. So even if they are logic minded versus sort of emotion, emotion, I don't know if you can say emotion minded. Uh, but you know, if, they're, if they're logic people versus emotion people, once they know the logical background of all of this, they're probably going to want to move toward safety and, and, and emotional intelligence with their, with their group. Yeah. When, when do you feel you had this shift from writing code and fig figuring out features and enhancements and bugs and workflow and priorities and DevOps, yeah. whatever it is, right? Where you had that mindset to where you sit back and say, wait a minute, the most important thing is the team and how these people connect and collaborate and communicate and problem solve. And, yeah. I, and I'm, I guess I'm speaking for you and I shouldn't be. I'm <laughs> guessing you have made that shift. This is what you do for a living, right? I think, yeah. or this is what your passion is, is high performing teams where it's not what's your DevOps pipeline, right? Yeah. You know, so you made this shift from IT code and deliverables to the team is the most important thing and how these people function together. What, what made that shift for you? Like, how did, how did that yeah. come about? Well, so the, I mean, the, 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 the technical competence definitely matters. Sure. Uh, and, and the shift started happening, I think around 
2000, I don't remember the exact year, the, the book Extreme, Extreme Programming Explained came out. Uh, but around there, 2000, 2001, 2002, I was working with a group of people who were friends. And uh, the book came out. We, we all got our own copy of the book. and We started doing some of the stuff in the XP book. And it was great. You know, we had, we were writing some of the best code ever and, and having a good time doing it and brought that experience to another place. And we were, you know, we're doing some of the things, good CI, good pairing and, and, and the things in the XP book. Uh, that turned into, as I, as I got more interested in, in the idea that it's not just me and me writing code, it's, it's us and us writing code, not just us writing code, but us solving the problem well. That turned into uh, more interest in, in at the, the wider Agile, including Scrum. Uh, turned into great experiences as a manager of teams in a, in a small startup, using Scrum and having great results. Uh, I mean, delivering what we needed to deliver on time, what we said we would deliver to our customers, our customers were happy, delivering to production frequently. Mm -hmm. uh, being able to forecast even how much things would cost so our CEO or our salespeople could, could price things the right way. Uh, we were really, really good. And, um, and, and, and being part of the, the Agile community around Boston and around the U.S. and around the world, uh, getting more involved with the Agile community, that led me to, um, I'd say, one of, a, couple of, <laughs> a couple of very influential experiences in my life. One was... Uh, being exposed to open space uh, with with Harrison Owen as the my, as my first open space facilitator, so he's sort of the the the, the inventor or the discoverer of open space. Mm -hmm. And another another really important uh, life experience was um, participating in a a core protocols boot camp. This was the work of Jim McCarthy and Michelle McCarthy. Their their core protocols things. Um, their work, they're, they're from the Seattle area, and, and, and it's, it's, it's a class about their experience getting a group of people to be really, really cohesive into a state of shared vision and not just this woo-woo shared vision cohesive stuff, but actually producing super efficiently, super effectively, super productively, super creatively. What is so now to pivot maybe more because I, 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 I do want to I want to spend the last 15 20 minutes that we have together really talking so uh, I want to get into like uh, uh, you know this high performance teams and what yeah. you've seen when what what you when you do your coaching or when you do your speaking um, and, and just kind of your observations but you know what is a high performance team what's that mean to you um, yeah. is it you know, is it delivering great software with quality? Like, I'm sure it's a whole bunch of things, but if you were to kind of, you know, you know, put a circle around what a high performance team looks like, feels like. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I start by defining team. Uh, I say a team is any group of two or more people aligned with a common goal. Right. So, so you and me right now, we're a team producing this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, even, even if we didn't think of it like that, when we, when we got rolling, uh, we, we are. Um, I, I like to I like to ask people about their favorite teams. This is this is actually what I do in my podcast. Mm -hmm. No, that's uh, great. And, and a lot of my work. Ask people about their their best team of their life, and what did it what did that experience feel like? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and and people get it down to one word. Uh, the one word people share. People share all kinds of all kinds of words to describe that experience of their best team. 
this is subjective stuff. So they, they'll say things like joy or trust or productive, uh, collaborative, safe, you know, mm -hmm. all kinds of really positive words to describe what it felt like. And, and we've all had that experience of, of some best team somewhere, sometime. It, when I define high performance team, and I, I take this from the research literature, how, how people define high performance, uh, say it's a team, a group of two more people and I'm with the common goal, that is objectively better than other teams doing similar work, right? So objective means it's something you can measure. It's not just subjective, those, mm -hmm. those, those nice sounding words. It's objective, you could measure it. Um, and doing similar work. So I was, you know, I don't know, I was watching, uh, I was watching NFL football this Sunday. Uh, it's, it's easy to gauge which one of the teams was better. It's objective. One of them scored more points than the other. Uh, they're doing similar work. They're doing, they're doing football. Mm -hmm. uh, you couldn't take a football team and compare them to a software team. They're doing different work. The comparison doesn't make sense. But you can take software teams and compare them to each other. Uh, from the work of um, uh, this book, Accelerate, I forget the list of all the authors. Uh, Nicole Forsgren, I remember the list of all the authors. Nicole Forsgren, uh, Jess Humble, Gene Kim. Uh, this is the work from the State of DevOps report that they've, they've mm -hmm. been collecting data for the last five or ten years about about technical practices and culture practices in in, in tech organizations around the world. Uh, they, from their work, we know that high performance in a tech organization includes these measurable things. Um, how long does it take to go from code committed to code is running in production? Hmm. What percentage of the time is that successful? How frequently can you do that? These are the sorts of measurements for tech teams. And you can use these to compare teams to each other. And the teams that measure high there, they measure high on business performance, or if it's if it's a nonprofit organization, they measure high on whatever it is that their goals are. Mm -hmm. uh, but these are the these are the tech things that we could measure to compare tech teams or tech organizations with each other. If you're if you're scoring well at those things, if you can go to production really fast from code commit to production, if it succeeds most of the time, if the time to repair it and when it fails is really short you're probably, I mean, almost definitely, the, the data are solid. You're, you're definitely meeting all of your business goals as well, <laughs> right? And to be able to do that, you have to have culture and people changes. I mean, people have to know how to collaborate well together to be able to do those technical things well together. They, they go hand in hand, tech practices and the, and the kind of social practices. Sometimes I say uh, Agile has two components. One component is the, the technical stuff, the other component is the social things. How do, how do people work together effectively? Perfect. So you, uh, you just helped me out a lot. So uh, I am an agile coach as well. And we spend uh -huh. half of our business is uh, uh, developing, you know, app dev and going out with teams and uh, yeah. building products for companies. The other half is coaching and agile and executive coaching, things of that nature. When yeah. we, when we go out and talk, that's exactly what we said, but I've never phrased it quite like the social aspect. And I like that. Yeah actually a lot. So my question on that is when you go in and give an evaluation or if you're doing some transformation on a company uh, towards this agile um, space, mm -hmm. does your mind shift more to the practices and the technical aspect or do you start just noticing the mm -hmm. social, the, mm -hmm. 
the, the people? Like where, where does your mind kind of gravitate to when you go in and give uh, an evaluation? Yeah, okay. I, I, when, I, when I first meet a, a, a prospective company that I, that I might collaborate with, um, I notice everything. I mean, the first thing I notice is, is definitely the, the people things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think of things like, uh, did, they, did they even, how did they greet me when I entered the building? Did they even greet me? Mm-hmm. Uh, things that you would do if you were a good host and you had a guest coming to visit you at home. You, you'd meet them at the door, you'd say hello, you, you might say how nice it is to see them. You'd offer to take their coat. You'd, you'd offer them some water or something, maybe some coffee or tea, maybe a little snack, certainly a comfortable place to sit. That's just like how you open with people when you show that you care about them. And, and so that's kind of the first thing I notice is do they act like they care about each other? Do they act like they care about people in general? Right. So I, I think that is, that is exactly where my mind goes. Right. Yeah. Um, I think so to give you an analogy and just, and then to, I want to uh, get your story about um, teams that we, we talked about offline, but mm-hmm. we used to say in coaching and my background is in coaching is in basketball. Uh, yeah. Those that listen kind of know that. Um, but we used to say, Hey, like what's important to you? Like what's the most important thing to you in terms of basketball? And people would say, you know, you'd have the debate of offense is the most important or defense is the most important or yeah. rebounding, right? Re- rebounding and defense wins championships, all that. And then we say, well, how important is team chemistry? And how well you guys kind of get along and root for each other and all this sort of stuff. And people would say, well, that's the most important thing is chemistry. And then you follow that up by saying, how much time do you spend working on that? How important, if it's the most important thing, how much do you spend working on your team togetherness and team culture and team camaraderie and all that? So my mind always kind of goes there because I do think that's the most important. So when we go in and give our, you know, agile analysis or evaluations, that is something that we look at. Like, how's this team? I really like how you phrase that. Like, how do they greet you? You know, how do they greet one another? How do they, you know, we say on this podcast before, be very aware of who's not cheering for your successes, <laughs> right? Be very aware who's not clapping or applauding when something good goes for you, right? Those are the yeah. people to watch. But like, how well do people root for one another? And yeah. that's interesting that, that, that you go, now tell, tell the story that we kind of told offline about real quick, I guess, about how you got involved in coaching. Like your background's not in coaching, but- right your son got involved in athletics and, and you jumped yeah. in and kind of made some decisions. Yeah. So I've got a, I've got an adult son now. He's 24 years old. Oh, okay. really kid. Um, when he was younger, uh, you know, he, he sort of followed into the sport that I grew up playing, you know, until I got to high school, we told that part of the story. Uh, I grew up playing soccer as, mm-hmm. as a kid and I loved it. And, you know, maybe part of why I liked it was I, I could be around other kids and it didn't really matter if I was good or not good because there were so many other kids around that could sort of blend in. But when he started to play soccer, I wanted to be involved. I, I hated just sitting on the sideline watching. Or I also hated, I hated when he had coaches who didn't really know what they were doing and, and, and he and the other kids were obviously not having a good time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so as part of coaching, at least in the town where I lived, uh, they encouraged us. In fact, they paid for the coaching training. They encouraged us to get the, the coaching training. So I had a couple of uh, like the, the first two levels of United States Soccer Federation coaching certification. 
in the in the coat in the soccer coaching classes one of the important things that that i learned was time on the ball or really what that means is learning by doing and making it fun so so for example old-fashioned soccer coaching or, or maybe this is how this is kind of how baseball works which is why when, when my son tried baseball he was bored with it mm-hmm. the coach puts the kids in a line and there's one ball and it's like your turn to kick the ball while while 15 kids wait for their turn and it's the next kid's turn to kick the ball while the 15 other kids still wait to kick the ball so you might touch the ball once every five minutes and you're just not going to have a good time you're not going to learn a lot you don't get things we talk about in pedagogy or in agile fast feedback and, and positive reinforcement in what you're learning you don't get enough of that if you're touching the ball every five minutes so the, the things that we learned in the, in the coaching training, the soccer coaching training, were about time on the ball and, and, and maximum number of touches per, per, per practice session. And if you've got 15 kids on the team, then you've got 15 balls, at least, maybe, maybe 20 balls, so that even if the balls are you know, out in the woods, every kid still has a ball. Mm-hmm. Same thing with any sort of learning. You know, time on the ball is what you might call it, but really time doing the activity is, is, is how you learn the activity. And as, I, as I learn Spanish, you know, it's, I'm definitely not learning Spanish right now with you. That's, that's okay. <laughs> but I will be later today. I'll have, more, I'll have more time doing Spanish with somebody who's good at it, who can help me improve at it. Um, I love doing the work with people when I'm doing my training and coaching. So for example, in my, in my course at Harvard, it's a full semester long course on, on the technical and the social parts of Agile. It's in the computer science department. So there's, we're definitely writing a lot of code. We're, 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 we're building CD systems and, and, and actually getting stuff product to production frequently together. We're learning it by doing it versus me standing in front of them, lecturing, telling them about it. Uh, people learn by doing more than they learn by listening passively to a lecturer, right? So, so that, that's really important. Yeah. And, and you know what? When, uh, so I coached until I was 34, 35. Then I got into software and spent mm-hmm. a year prepping myself to be employable. Uh-huh. And spent a lot of time reading books and um, reading things online and all this sort of stuff to, uh, to educate myself. Yeah. And I remember I was at a coffee shop like at six in the morning reading these books and a, a coworker kept coming in throughout the week. And he stopped me like on the Friday and he said, George, at some point you need to stop reading. And you just need to be writing code and just start writing code because you're not getting, I mean, yes, you're getting smarter, but you need to do it. You need to do it, do it, do it. Uh, Same thing like uh, my my, my stepson just got his driver's license, right? Mm -hmm. That's a learn by doing activity. Thank goodness. It's not just (laughs) read the manual and and learn about driving. It's learn by doing. You practice it and, and they certify you. They take you out in the car and they watch you do it. Right, right. Um, Again, to honor your time, what, one last question. Um, why, why should we as software, you know, uh, as CEOs and CTOs, even consider Agile? Why, why is Agile important? Why is it on this movement? I know there's this waterfall Agile thing. And, yep. you know, and um, there's so many, even, we're, we're here in St. Louis, and the IT community here in St. Louis is phenomenal. Um, and, but we still run into those companies that, 
you know, it's either got a bad name, don't discuss it, don't say that word, whatever it is. But why should yeah. companies even consider going this agile route or yeah. call you, call, call the company <laughs> I work for, or any of those to even bring us in? Why is it important? Yeah, I, I ask myself this question a lot, actually. And, and, and sometimes I don't have an answer. Um, if, if you're at a company that's successful, keep doing that. Don't change anything. You don't, if, if you're not doing agile and you're successful, awesome you. Keep going. Uh, if you're noticing that maybe there are some upstarts or some new competitors and you're having trouble keeping up with them, you're having trouble changing your business offerings fast enough, you're having trouble adjusting your technical products fast enough, uh, you're noticing lower quality than you used to have or your customers actually care about quality now that they, they didn't when you were getting started. These might be the times to consider Agile. So, so like my, my typical clients, the companies that I collaborate with are, are sort of like that. Maybe they're 15 years old, they're former startups. They've been successful. They, they, they've lasted that long. That's a long time to run a company and, and have it still be alive and, and keep growing. Mm -hmm. And they're noticing that they can't deliver stuff as fast as they used to be able to, or that when they do, it's full of bugs and their customers are getting mad at them or that they have new upstart competitors who are doing the things that they want to do faster than they can. And they're either winning their old customers from, from them uh, or they're winning the, the market, the new market segments that they wish they could get. I think those are the times where, where Agile is really valuable, where, where what you've been doing is no longer working and it's time to try something different. Like planning in short iterations instead of long time frames, like, like focusing on delivering high quality working product to production to the app store, whatever it is, mm -hmm. quickly, uh, and, and getting feedback quickly, actually, actually sharing things with your customers at a high frequency, getting fast feedback from them, getting more time on the ball is kind of a way to think about it. Like yeah, the, the more, the more often you release it, the more practice you're getting doing it, it becomes easier. The more often you do planning, the easier it is. The shorter the planning sessions, the more often you do it, you're getting more time on the ball, you're, you're learning faster as a group, everything becomes easier, you become more successful. So if you're, if you're in that position, that's the time to try to think about, maybe think about Agile. Right. Speed and quality and feedback and being more iterative. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, those are the things to really consider. And what, what we seem to find is uh, things aren't working. We're just going to keep hammering this thing harder, doing it the way we're doing it or drive yeah. more or get more resources or whatever it is. We're just going to keep yeah. going down that road where you get the real, um, you know, I, I was reading, talking with people yesterday just about, you know, being more innovative, you know, yeah. and thinking about uh, Toys R Us and Blockbuster. And yeah. going, you know what, they just, you know, they just kept hammering it the same way instead of really yeah. sitting back saying, hey, this isn't working. And yeah. uh, we, we need to go a different route or we're going to find ourselves, you know, uh, you know, on the bad end of this. So, yeah, you know, so listen, I, I want to, again, honor your time. Um, really appreciate, um, you know, uh, let me ask one more question, not to keep. Yeah. Very, how, how, how did you end up at Harvard? How, how did you end up being a teacher at Harvard? Harvard and oh, okay. what, do you, what do you teach there and uh, what impact are you having there? Because, you know, um, yeah. I'm fascinated with that area. I'm really, I'm fascinated with Boston. Yeah. I'm really fascinated with the academic institutions of Boston. Um, yeah. And I've, I've told my kids, 
they can go to any school in Boston, Boston College, <laughs> MIT, any of those schools. I'll try to figure out how they can go there because it is a hotbed academically. And for you, you to, yeah, it's a great place to live for that. Yeah. Um, let's see. So I had a I had a a, a non traditional college career. Um, I was a I was a really wicked smart kid in high school, <laughs> and it's like to my detriment, I never had to learn how to learn. I could I could just cram for tests maybe the morning before and still get really good grades. <laughs> um, that got me into a pretty good college. I, I was a good test taker, right? So I got good SAT scores. That got me into a good college that I was terrible at. I was, for one thing, I was young. I was, I was 17 when I got to college. Uh, for another thing, I didn't know how to learn. I was really immature in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I left early. I joined the tech community around Boston, which was awesome. I started learning in a, in a safer kind of way, I guess, and learning really fast and learning the stuff that I actually wanted to be learning. Um, I went back to school half time. Uh, so working full time, I had a kid as well at the time and I was doing school half time. School was Harvard's extension school. And so that's where I got my degree in computer science. I, I, I finished things up part time. It took quite a few years. Um, about five or six years ago, as I was spinning up this small business that I'm running, I was feeling really positive about what I was doing and, and really grateful to important people in my life. Uh, one of those people was one of my teachers at Harvard, who, who I took a, a few CS classes with. And we had lunch, and I, it was really just to, 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 to stay connected with him and to say thanks. He asked me what I was doing for work. I, I started telling him about this Agile stuff. Uh, he, he, he suggested that we put a syllabus together and offer it in the catalog. Um, so, so we did that. I spent a weekend. I, was, uh, I think I was working at a conference in San Francisco uh, one, one autumn uh, in, in October, I think, October, November. I spent a weekend in my, I think I was, I was renting an Airbnb. This was five or six years ago, so Airbnbs were sort of new. Uh, I, spent, I spent the day on the floor with post-its and note cards designing a syllabus. Sent it to them. They put it in the catalog. I still didn't think it was going to happen because because then people have to sign up, <laughs> uh, and it happened. People signed up. We started running this this course on agile software development. So for me, what this was about was I I wanted people leaving university computer science programs to have the agile skills to know about aligning with your customers, to know about empathy, to know about product vision and shared vision, mm -hmm. uh, to know about you know, all, all the scrum stuff, short iterations, iteration planning, and reviewing with your customers, and all the technical stuff. So we're doing, so in, in the course, we're doing all of that. We're doing, we're focusing on scrum as the framework, we're doing XP, uh, all, the, all the technical skills. Uh, we're doing, um, we're doing mob programming together. This is learning by doing. Right. We're doing, uh, we're doing, we're doing mobbing and TDD and, and great refactoring and setting up continuous delivery pipelines. And another another idea that I had for the course was I want the students to form real product development teams to build real products for real people outside of the classroom. 
<laughs> and so they do this. Uh, the last eight weeks of the course turns out to be four two-week-long sprints. Mm -hmm. They do a sprint of, uh, of team formation and product inception. They find a real human stakeholder who's not in the class. They figure out what that person wants, and they build a backlog around that together. Oh, that's great. And they do three two-week-long product-build sprints. And, and during those product-build sprints, we, we keep adding on to the, to the skills that they're practicing. So they, they've got to be doing things in pairs, at least, maybe mobs. They've got to be writing code together like that. Mm -hmm. uh, they have to be doing test-first development. Eventually, they set up a continuous integration pipeline, then they extend that to be a continuous delivery pipeline. Oh, and by the way, the product that they're building is open source, so it, it lives on after the class is over, and it's a real contribution to the world. That's great. And, and, it, and it's awesome. They, they, do their, they do their sprint reviews with their real human stakeholder who's from outside the classroom, hmm. uh, and we do a final, final end-of-semester sprint review together, so everybody shows off what they built. That's and great. It, it is super fun. Yeah, good for you. And now how many people would end up being, um, I don't know how Harvard's structured in terms of yep. semesters, quarters, things of that nature, but how many people would sign up per session? Uh, it varies anywhere from, um, from, from 12 to 30 or so okay. varies by semester. Right. And how many days a week do you find yourself on campus lead, leading the, yep. is that three uh, days? So week? interesting things about the course, when we do it, we, we do it through the extension school in the fall and through the summer school in the summer. Uh, in the fall, it's a hybrid course, which means it's partly on campus, partly online. Okay. So we do it sort of like this through Zoom. I use Zoom for the online sessions. We do Zoom for like a, a two-hour session every other week, and we do a, a, a weekend on campus together. And people come from all over the world to, to be at, at Harvard on campus for the weekend. Uh, and that, that's, a, that's a traditional semester. In the summer, it's really intense. It's a three-week-long semester with the same syllabus, all the same work, all the same learning. And uh, we do a three-hour class session face-to-face -face on campus, three hours a day, four days a week for three weeks. It's super intense. They still do these, uh, this, uh, this four sprints worth of building a product together. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just that those sprints are much shorter. They're, they're like half a week long each. Right. And it's, so it's super intense in the summer. Um, I think part, part of that intensity, uh, people have a great time with it. Mm. And, 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 and for sure, uh, late, late June, early July, that's a great time of year to be in Boston. Yeah. And right. people come from all over the world to participate in the class. It's, it's, it's really super fun. Good for you. So one of the things I uh, wrote down this morning when I was taking some notes and listening to my own podcast this morning, um, was this idea of just one decision and how could that can impact your life, change your life and just kind of putting yourself out there, um, you know, and you being connected with somebody at Harvard, taking classes at Harvard and going out and having coffee with and suggesting and having that discussion of doing something like this and then taking action on it. So that's my big word for 2019 is action, but then taking action on it in San Francisco on the floor with post-it notes and having that impact your life, change your life, uh, and not more so, but uh, coupled with the impact that you're having on the people of Harvard and the Boston community. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just one decision, one conversation, you know, and I, I'm just big onto that in 2019 on how that can impact, you know, uh, impact your life and change your life and change the, the and have the impact of people around you. Yeah, so. and, and I got to say, I'm, 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 I'm blessed. I'm, I'm truly grateful 
for all, all the opportunities that people give me and, and, and the things people invite me to do and, and collaborate with them on it's 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 a good life <laughs> yeah it's a good life is it it is well listen let me let me thank you um and i'll thank you when we get offline here in a second but I, let me thank you because you know it's just a random thing on linkedin it's just connecting with people yeah. sending some notes off and getting responses um you had you had no business, you know, uh, accepting my request and uh, wanting to be on this podcast, but, but I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I, I know that people will really get a lot out of this, you know, 45 minute conversation that we've had today. So how can people track you down and, and learn more about what you do, what, what you do for Harvard? Uh, how can people track you down online? Sure. So uh, the easiest thing to do is to visit my website, kasparowski.com. I'm hopeful you'll, you'll type that into the, the episode notes. Yep. Uh, so visit the website, sign up for my newsletter. These are the best ways to, to, to stay in touch with me. Perfect. Okay. And so, yeah, in the show notes, um, it will be on YouTube. It'll be on my podcast. You look at the show notes. I'll have links to his website, uh, to his LinkedIn, if that's okay as well. Sure. And any, and the ways that you can track him down. So with that, Richard, Hey, thanks again for your time. And I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can connect, uh, you know, sometime down the road as well. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Thank you.